Listen, boys, I uh, I don't know if you know this. It's carnival time. I don't even know what carnival is. New Orleans. Oh. Mardi Gras. Oh, Mardi Gras well, why didn't she time. say it's Mardi Gras New Orleans time? Because that's not what they say. I don't know. They say it's, they say it's, it's carnival, carnival time. Carnival. Erica just got back from New Orleans, and she brought us a king cake. That sounds king cakey. <laughs> <laughs> so this is, a, this is a king cake. You cut your own piece. Um, whoever gets the baby that's hidden in it. What's the baby taste like? He probably shouldn't swallow it. Whoever gets the, the plastic baby throws the next king cake party and has to invite everybody who's here plus everybody else. Oh, you're doing an even smaller bite than I am. Coward. You're afraid to get a baby in your mouth. You also got a purple. Of course I got a purple. It's my Favier. Okay, hey, are you poking the cake? <laughs> are you poking for babies? No, he interrupted. It is like a cinnamon roll, mm -hmm. except drier. Yep. And it has elements of lemon and mm -hmm. orange. Mm -hmm. And I like that. And it is a less cinnamon forward than a cinnamon roll. Yeah, but like cinnamon roll base. Right? Yeah. With different, yeah, yeah, yeah. With different seasons. I just want to paint a picture for our lovely listeners um, mm. so they can have this sort of progressive cultural experience that we're having right Still now. Still some cinnamon. Oh, yeah. Definitely some chini mountain. This is not a bad one. All right. I'm cutting <laughs> the yellow. Oh, no. Does the yellow taste better oh. than the green? Oh. Jeffrey got a baby. Look at that. He's trying to wow. he's trying to not be in my piece, but he was. Here's oh my god, does that mean Sam's pregnant? Episode 100 and I think 65. Um, it's almost like a perfectly simple bummer cast because these two Jesus. hooligans that I'm hanging out with are I hit 200 depraved. Yeah, we will we, hit I 200 so. this wow. year. Yeah, unless any of us just decide to stop doing it. If the good Lord's willing and the creeks don't uh, rise. Yeah, that doesn't stop us from needing to cover. No, let's not cover it. You guys are disgusting and filthy, and I'm bummed out about it. But this is a comic book podcast where every week we talk about all the comics that came out and our store that we know and love. And sometimes we talk about comic book properties. The Dark um, Crystal, for example, mm -hmm. with Gelfling. And... Um, at the Pap Cave. And, oh, God, you know what? This is, everyone is, every episode is somebody's first episode. And we done screwed the pooch on this one for whoever's first episode this is. When, okay, so all of that was very good. We have a lot of fun. Comics plays, comics, reviews, hot takes. Just getting to hang out together for a, a night. Love that. We had a king cake. Jeff got the baby. I'm Jeff. I got the baby. <laughs> I'm Django. I gave Jeff the baby. <laughs> you do that with everyone, Django. You're just giving people babies left and right. Can't help it. I know. I'm sorry you're welcome. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry that you're welcome. <laughs> I'm Roman. All my babies have grown up and are productive adults now. We have, we've all, all but flown the coop. This week's spoilers are brought to you by Stephanie Brown. 
And, uh, <laughs> and uh, yeah, that one's from Dino. I told him I'd do it. I told him I'd do it. Um, Dino. But, Django, uh, do you want to tell everybody what we're going to be Stephanie Browning tonight? Yeah, tonight we're going to Stephanie Brown, the Ice Cream Man, number 17, Hawkeye, free, fall, number two. And in case you're curious, it's two words, free, fall. Frankenstein under... Undone. Undone. Yeah. Undone. <laughs> uh, number one, criminal. Number twelve, Olympia. Number Schley. Justice League. Number Schley nine. You just made me king cake <laughs> in my throat. <laughs> uh, protector. Number one. Protector. Hardly even know her. <laughs> Sex criminal number 26. Oh, Detective Comics <laughs> annual number Schley. Uh, X-Men number five and X-Force number six, which is two Schleys. Yeah, uh, Justly 39 is a Schley and then a Schley to the Schlerd power. <laughs> so <laughs> take that. All right, everybody, let's talk about Ice Cream Man, which if there is more of a comic book for Jeff Figley, I'm not 100% sure what it would be. Probably X-Men something. That's true. You're right. Never mind. <laughs> um, but no, I actually think I like Ice Cream Man 17 more than X-Men this week. We started the Tuesday hustling and bustling the books back and forth, you know, the ground, the sky, the files, the mound. But uh, in, wow. in, in the comings and goings of all of that business... Oh, God. <laughs> that didn't mean for all of those to sound like I'm constructing a larger uh, sexual-themed thing, because I wasn't. I was just letting them come out my mouth. Um, oh, God. Um, Roman said, this Ice Cream Man <laughs> issue is uh, all of an all-star all Superman reference. And I thought, I'm not going to look at that and have that spoiled for me. But uh, as I went home and cracked that open, issue number 17 of Ice Cream Man by M. Maxwell Prince and Martin Morazzo. You spoiled w. it Maxwell one Prince. page at a time for yourself. I spoiled it one page at a time. This whole issue is a love letter to Grant Morrison and Frank Quitely's All-Star Superman. Down to exact, like, the text box colors used in the same pages of, like, page one. is like, the origin for Superman is the origin of this character. Um, it, it has absolute page for page replicas of like when they walk into the fortress of solitude um this basically ice cream man is an evil version of superman in this town and there's a female who is like lois lane who goes to his fortress of solitude to get an interview with him but she knows that he's bad and it's it is just incredible like there are these pages that are showing a summary of who this ice cream man superman is and they're like one of them is the cover to like issue six of all-star superman one's the cover to jla with frank quietly and graham morrison there's a giant robotic spider they're fighting and has all these kirby lines all over it homages to the scenes in all-star superman where the girl's gonna commit suicide off of the building and he stops her um there's just like these beautiful exact like note for note recreations of one of my favorite stories of all time and it wasn't until reading this that I was so aware of how much uh, Martin Marazzo's art looks like Frank Quitely's. Like the ink line is so yeah. much like him, but the people look different, but I have a real similarity. It, it just like, I was like, oh, of course, I bet these two guys love Grant Morrison and Frank Quitely. And this issue is just, yeah, I, I had to stop reading halfway through it because Sam reads this whole series. And I was like, Sam, I have just got to show you that this book, like, that you're going to read is, like, how much it's referential to this thing that I love because she knows all about All-Star Superman but hasn't read it. 
And I just got to excitedly show her like page for page all these different homages to it. And uh, it was just one of the most fun things that I, I had read in a really long time because it was so... Such a, a nod to one of my favorite pieces of art ever. And then on top of all that, it's also constantly referencing older issues of Ice Cream Man right. and getting super meta within its own story. Uh, yeah, there, there, there's like two or three layers of interesting commentary and meta commentary and story building in here. It's really weird to have <clears throat> a book that somebody can be telling discrete stories about separate characters at the same time, in, in different worlds, in different settings, and at the same time be doing world building in the fringes of that. Yeah. Because, like, this Superman character from here, at one point, definitely not Perry White, is showing a cover of definitely not Superman punching a cowboy robot. The counterpart to Ice Cream Man is a cowboy. And and he's in here too. Yeah, the cowboy scene in here is fantastic. When they go into the Fortress of Solitude in the glass cases are all these little items that are from previous issues of the series so yeah i would say like 25 percent of the time i read one of these issues i'm like this is one of the best three issues we've ever read like it, of this series it that is astounding to me roman you you like all-star superman yeah yeah and and what you just said yeah i'm amazed i mean how does he keep doing this anyway what were your question well i just did you like this issue you were the first oh, one yeah. to realize that it was tied into that yeah yeah oh yeah i love this issue um for all the reasons you guys said i mean and i can't remember <clears throat> what all the references are to previous issues. Yeah, me neither. Like, I don't know if that's a Ice Cream Man thing or just a Jimmy Olsen thing, that giant oh, you're right inside the fortress. I think everything in that fortress room is from a previous issue of Ice Cream Man. Yeah. Yeah, and I, and I don't know how it keeps on building on itself so <clears throat> well and, and so uniquely. It, it's even the cover, actually, and the cover reminds me of uh, the old Swamp Thing artist, um, Stephen Bissett. Mm. Or Thomas oh, Yates. Yeah. yeah, and the um, other, the variant cover is just Action oh. Comics number one. It also had, um, like, every issue of Ice Cream Man has a repeating pattern on the inside front and back cover. And at least at, starting at volume two or three, they've each had, like, repeating wallpaper on the inside covers. And this one is graphic just... graphic design-wise, always <clears throat> amazing. Yeah, like bats becoming other bats and In, then like, cool linking to the original cool bat. Repeating things. Uh, this cool. one is just halftone dots. Yeah. Oh, yeah, I would give this what, one a nine. I have one question that I just noticed. Why is this chapter called Cape Fear? Because I've never seen either Cape Fear movie, so I don't... It's called Cape Fear. Afraid of capes. Well, yeah, there's two movies called Cape Fear. Does I don't necessarily think that they're related. Please. I'd give this one a nine and a half. Yeah. Uh, mostly for the CMYK. I'd maybe go <laughs> nine and a half, too, honestly. Like, I, I was excited. I stopped halfway through it to tell Sam about stuff. It, it really, like... it tickled me in a way that only my coworker Django does while I'm working. I don't even know what I would take half a point away for yeah i just don't trust confection perfection rubio what do you think i'll give it a nine and a half door i can't believe i got the baby listen <laughs> congratulations w maxwell prince yeah. and martin morazzo 17 issues in writing a book like we don't have a ton of comic books that are coming out that are 17 issues in where those issues can be like the best issues right like yeah it, it's just not a super super common trend we hardly have Comics that are hitting issue 17 anymore right, that's before true. they get rebooted and repackaged. Um, on the topic of rebooting and repackaging, Hawkeye... About... What? Oh, I thought you were going to make a Steve Lieber joke. No. No. Django, the rules of three. We've already hit our three, I think. I think that joke's played out. Did we? We, we have mentioned it more than three times. 
Hmm. Steve Lieber's punky. Steve Lieber's punky. Um, Hawkeye Freefall number two by oh, Matthew. Package, not not punky. Thanks, bud. You got it. Um, get me in a hat. Have. <laughs> has ever trusted this guy to drive anything <laughs> oh man all right uh hawkeye free fall number two loving it by matthew rosenberg and otto schmidt uh we talked about this a little bit on the video that we recorded on wednesday morning before we opened this bird up um i like this issue more than i like the first issue it develops the character uh this 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 character of clint a little bit more he's He's obviously making some big mistakes. It kind of made me wonder, like, what sort of, what sort of, like, mental disorder Clint might have that would make him sell his building to impress a girl and donate all that money. And, like, well, he's he seems to be wasting a lot of money here. Yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, I I like I like the fight scenes. I like the art a little bit better. And the cliffhanger was pretty awesome yeah i okay so we're like spoilers because i do want to talk about the cliffhanger of this yeah. hawkeye freefall number two but i also I, I totally agree with what you're saying about um the art style i feel like this is a bit of a shift for Otto schmidt a schmidt shift <laughs> and i think that he's getting comfortable with it like i think yeah. he was kind of establishing our sound that first issue i think this one it, it makes a little bit more sense i am a fan of it but i do i've heard people who are not a big fan of it this is like if Otto mm -hmm. schmidt and riley rossimo yeah, actually, of, like the eyes and oh, some of the yeah. face shapes are. A it totally has a, a Rossimo vibe to it. You're, I, I totally agree with you. Um, so <laughs> Roman Django and I both like this more than the first issue, and you were on record as not loving the first issue. How did you feel about this one? I like this one better too. Um, I especially the dialogue. Really like the dialogue. Yeah. So I mentioned it in the YouTube video. Everyone should check that out. Like, comment, and subscribe. Uh, <laughs> that saying that gives me a little laugh in my face. I forget what I said in the YouTube video now that I did all that yeah, YouTube thing. Yeah, what did you thing. say in the YouTube video? The oh, YouTube video? Yeah, we were YouTube, on a YouTube video. On the video. YouTube video. I was just going to mention that Matthew Rosenberg is a huge fan of Bendis, and I feel like the Bendis influence is very prevalent here. Like, he yeah. said that it's his, he's his favorite writer, and this, it's not at all negatively self-indulgent, but it is self-indulgent mm -hmm. in the same way that Bendis can often be. Um, and, and that he's like, well, I'm just going to let this banter go back and forth. I always love that, but I could I know that some people don't necessarily love it or feel like it's supernatural. A lot of, there's a lot of breathing in the in the scenes. Yeah, the old Bendis half step. That's yeah. that's interesting because I like this back and forth a lot more than Bendis's. Yeah, yeah. Well, guess what? Tricks on you. It is Bendis. <laughs> no, <laughs> we got no, you. Writing no is Matthew Rosenberg. Oh my God. <laughs> there's no half steps in here. <laughs> and there's some great Spider-Man in here as well. Like, I really liked his Peter Parker. I think Matthew Rosenberg yeah. could totally write uh, Spider-Man at some point. You know yeah. what's crazy yeah. is I like this issue. Both times we've talked about it, I haven't felt like I needed to mention Spidey, even though it's an awesome Spidey yeah. scene. And I think that just kind of speaks to how good the rest of the issue is. Mm -hmm. Like, the, the side scene with Spidey is cool, but not necessary. We also we got two panels in the snow. Mm -hmm. And Jeff is just a sucker for that. Loving it. So, the spoilers. Do you think he actually sold his apartment building? Or was he just saying that because he had a lot of money and didn't want to say that the big spoiler, he has been, he is in the Ronin costume and he's stealing the money? Oh, that's a good question. I'm not sure that I believe that this is actually him. 
Okay. Yeah, I'm, I'm not sure I believe that either. Uh, but I'm, yeah. I'm hip, daddy-o. You just called me daddy-o. Well, yeah, you got the baby. Oh, man, I got the baby. I can't believe I got the baby. That means we also have to use the king cake intro. <laughs> We've talked a lot about my baby. I didn't I didn't think we weren't going to use it. Did you well, think you were going to use the gonna... intro? <laughs> Let's use them man, both. It's not usable. Okay, guys. It's all um, usable. It's all gold. We need to phase into our scores for this book. I would give it an 8.5, a really good, oh, awesome book. I'd give what's, it a 7.5, a really good, awesome book. What's a, what's a good like number for, for like free-falling? What are the G-forces of free-falling? 9.86 meters per second. That'll be my score. Um, now... Captain Freaky, why don't you get me over to this funktastic funk fest you've been baking for the last couple of hours? Frankenstein under there. <laughs> under where? <laughs> oh, you son of a dog. <laughs> um, I'm Captain Freaky. Cool. Captain uh, Funky. I really dug this. Why not both? <laughs> That's true. This is what? Frankenstein Undone by, uh, let's see, Mike Magnolia and Scott Alley, and art by Ben Stenbeck. Um, it says from the world of Hellboy, which at first I didn't care about this because I thought, well, if it's the same, what was that last Frankenstein series that the Hellboy crew put out a few years ago? Yeah. Um, but this doesn't seem to be related to that. This is actually continues right from the end of the original novel. Uh, wow. Which, yeah, I, got me really excited because I love that novel. It's the first. Does it show the end of that foot race that he's having in the Arctic snow? Mm, not quite, but kind of in a way. But yeah, it starts off with the creature, and he's narrating this like he did in the book. So it's it's he's very smart and an erudite. Um, there's cool stuff in the in the Arctic. With he meets up with his polar bear family, and you think it's going to be a battle, and it's actually he he like finds a little polar bear family. That's pretty cool. I see a seal. Yeah, yeah there's a seal. There's some great stuff. Natural like red and tooth and. Red and tooth and claw and fang, all that. Just, just like. <laughs> <laughs> I love Nature. anything that's red in the tooth. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's just a good story about what happened to the creature after the end of the novel, and kind of there's some mystery going on here. There's some mysticism going on. Um, it's a great literary tie-in, and it's a great kind of Hellboy universe vaguely tie-in. I'll give it an 8.5. 8.5? For Frankenstein Undone. Yeah, I dug it. It's interesting for our for the listeners at home, just so they know, um, Mike Mignola has so many like books that come out that like he writes or co-writes with people, like a ton of them. But they all kind of have the same readership. We order basically the same number of any Hellboy World Mike Mignola thing because the people who read any Mike Mignola read all of it. And yeah. you don't really ever see people jumping on to Magnolia books. So it, it's just an interesting sort of, he's still cranking them out, and yeah. people keep ordering them in the same amount, and the same people keep reading them. Yeah, and I hope in a way that doesn't limit the readership for this, because you can have never read a Hellboy book, and you could jump into this and just enjoy it as a fan of Frankenstein or a fan of literary horror, and you don't have to know anything about Hellboy. Um, I read... Criminal Number 12 by Ed Brubaker and Sean Phillips. This is the last issue in the quote-unquote ongoing criminal series, uh, which is kind of a bummer because I was looking forward to just criminal stories forever. 
coming out from these guys. They say that they're going to do some more. They've got a, another uh, book coming out soon called Pulp. Looks like a Western crime hmm. story um, in the format of My Heroes Have Always Been Junkies, so like a, a one-shot hardcover original graphic novel. Um, but this definitely puts uh, a period at the end of Teague's story, and we've been following him forever since, I think, The Coward story the very first, the first criminal volume, yeah. volume uh this this shows us the end of him wow and uh and also the beginning of his son who's also been a re- recurring character throughout the series uh one thing that i love about this run has been like i i pick it up slowly here and there i hadn't read number 10 for a long time and i skipped 11 and i picked up 11 and 12 and read them today no, no real context, and you know, I knew what was going on. I understood that they were in the middle of a heist, and these are the good guys, and these are the bad guys. It's, it's not super complex, but it's super engaging and familiar. And if you've ever watched or enjoyed a, a crime story, all of these are solid jumping on points. I would give this one a, gosh, I'd give this issue an eight and a half. I would give the series on the whole like a nine and a half it, it's just top top of top of form for the creators and for the genre um question yeah criminal we just had 12 issues of it there are what eight volumes downstairs nine volumes yeah. downstairs how did those come <clears throat> out was that an ongoing series at that point or were they coming out in like six issue minis those were minis okay. i think four four issue minis for the most part okay so it was like criminal coward one yeah, I think it was called Coward, a Criminal Story, or something like that. Oh, and then, uh, you know, what, whatever. I don't even remember, remember yeah, what actually, they're all called. But I think the hard there's some hard covers that have been collected that say like Incognito, a Criminal Story, or whatever. Yeah, yeah. My heroes have all been junkies. Was a Criminal Story yeah. also. Um, yeah, and the criminal stuff. Really, you can read any of the story arcs in any order. Just grab a trade paperback or a, a graphic novel and read it. You don't have to. And if you're interested, you can listen to Infinity Content. Roman was on an Infinity Content uh, podcast. He's on all of them, but uh, they did Criminal Volume 1, I think, two yeah. books ago. They just most yeah. recently recorded Manhattan Projects, but I think the one before, or no, it was Alias, and then it was Coward. Or Coward yeah, Criminal, it was but, Coward before that. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, that would be a great way to get into that story without reading it if you just want to spend an hour and absorb it. I Although, highly recommend the whole, everything they've done. Yeah, I've never read any of it. Yeah. Except for my Heroes Have Always Been Junkies in some of this series, but I... I you know, I'm not super into crime stuff. There's an ad at the end of it by Jacob Phillips, who I think is Sean Phillips' son, uh, and it looks looks like more more crimey, grimy crime stuff. And isn't he the one who was doing coloring for them for a bit? Yes. So interesting that he is now doing full art duties on a book. Yeah. Who's writing that? Uh, Chris Condon. Okay. Who's so. someone I'm not familiar with. Cool. Yeah. Well. Um, Similar to Django's love of Criminal and cruising along through that, I have talked about Olympia from Image Comics by Kurt and Tony Pyers. This issue had art by Alex Diotto. I did not realize that... Or no, sorry, the art is by Jason Copeland. Um, I did not realize that this was not the actual regular artist of the first two issues until Django pointed that out to me the next day. And that totally makes sense because I do prefer the art in this issue. 
and it is a very tonally different issue from the stuff that we've been getting in the previous two, but I I loved this. I've described the previous two issues of this series as sort of a meta story about comics, or if you have a passing awareness of the comic industry, you get a kind of extra thrill out of it. This is even more so. It follows the comic creator that created the Olympian character that has crashed on Earth in the first two issues. The guy who draws not as well as the guy who's drawing him. Right. <laughs> Um, <laughs> yes, and I, um, but it, he's just sort of a, a struggling comic creator whose book gets canceled, which is the Olympian book, and he is, his wife has left him, and he goes to see his son for their birthday party, and he's got to see his wife, ex-wife's new husband, who's a kind of a disrespectful jerk to him, and he's contemplating suicide, and there's a great sort of misdirection near the end but it flashes back to him as an early cartoonist who's he's doing background assists for a character whose name is wood something wood which is obviously a reference to wally wood but it is clearly jack kirby like smoking cigars and drawing comics and he has this wonderful interaction with him and it's it's really cool because jack kirby has such a legacy and it is one of there's sort of part and parcel with being taken advantage of the comic by the comics industry and he has that famous quote of comics will break your heart and this issue allows a different take on that where he says you know comics will break your heart but that's not true it's actually the people in comics that break your heart and i think that that's absolutely true and i think jack kirby given the opportunity to clarify that really would have because i think he loved comics this is I, just I, yeah sorry 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 to interrupt i yeah i love that distinction yeah because you know no matter what the characters you love you're always going to love them they're right not, they're not going to portray you well he's engaging in a little bit of synecdoche which backfired on him i like that movie <laughs> you've seen synecdoche new york i think so or maybe you've just heard Django talk about it a lot well that too i just wanted to say that okay i've never <laughs> seen it but i would like to because of how much i've heard Django talk about it uh this is a great book in that it's always a quick read. It is a little bit more emotional than you'd think you would get given how quick it is going. And if you love comic books as an industry, comic books as a medium, or the history of comic books, it is particularly cool. So I, I think that everyone should check this out. It's also, you get a really a kick out of like, oh, this guy's name is Spiegelman. Oh, okay, that's cool. Or like, you know, um, or Kirby or Wood or all these different names for people that are analogs for different people in the comic industry. I really liked the idea of Chaikin's book, Hey Kids Comics. But when I tried to read it, it was a little bit more, I had to work a little bit harder to understand exactly who all of the people were parallels for yeah. in the comic industry because he changed the names. This one's a little bit more reader friendly. Just like you don't need to be a historian to be able to get who all these people are and, and why it's cool. I haven't read this issue. I Yeah, I loved, I really love this issue. It was all of a sudden it kicked into high gear for me and you know the ending I'll try not to spoil it but it's it's it made me think wow what if uh collected on thinking of Jack Cole during this who's my favorite creator that that killed himself um I was thinking wow what if what if Plastic Man had showed up for Jack Cole yeah cool <laughs> yeah and it's that cool like the hope and positivity and possibility of fiction and stories yeah. you know like, and and how your imagination creativity can save you so really liked it I would give this one an 8 no, I'm gonna give that one a nine. Like it really scratched a very fun itch for me. It yeah. was a, it was a good one. Yeah, I'll definitely give it a nine. Yeah. Nice. My favorite issue so far of Olympia. Oh gosh, I arranged these probably kind of poorly. I just really quickly want to talk about Justice League three to the 
three three to the third Schlee Fest. This is the end of Scott Snyder's Justice League story that he's been doing for 39 issues. Is he off of it the next issue? Yeah. Oh, wow. Robert Venditti will be taking over it. And there's been good parts and bad parts to this run. Um, I really liked leading into this whole fifth world stuff and then it got a little bit lost the last handful of issues but i just want people to know that i'm still reading it it has been fun i think i think that if gosh scott snyder got really into doing a scott snyder thing and and sometimes when he does that i get a little bit like i don't know if i want to come along for this ride because it gets pretty up its own fictional body does that make sense like up its own half tone yeah like he i think scott snyder can be like oh i'm doing this really crazy idea and everyone's gonna love it come along with me and it's like okay no the coke ran out yeah Uh, just uh you know finish it (laughs) and he's a dad of several i don't think that he is a big coke person but we do refer to him as somebody doing coke a lot yeah and there is amount of that in this we should clarify that i don't know if he does a whole bunch of coke or not but his stories feel like he's drawing on the cocaine power like like the speed force. He's drawing on the, the coke force, whether he's actually doing drugs or not. What's interesting in this is that uh, the Perpetua, who is this sort of fifth dimensional large cosmic entity bigger than the Forger of Worlds and the, the Monitor and Anti-Monitor, has taken power and has given people the opportunity to believe in the heroes or to believe in her. And Martian Manhunter gives this crazy powerful psychic message to all of reality and just asks for people to believe in them and and have faith in them and not this perpetual person and and all of society doesn't and they choose not to and then they're sort of just stranded on the moon without their costumes and then the sort of the quintessence which has like the specter and mr e mr e and the question and high father the Ganthit, this Fantasy sort of Ranger. yeah, Phantom Stranger. Sorry, yeah, it. They show up and they're saying like, oh, well, you can you know like change this by going into this door if you're going to, and but it's very dangerous and who knows if you'll come back. And the issue ends with them running into that. So it is a really interesting like Scott Snyder sort of lateral this story to somebody else, and now he's off the book. How do you feel about the way he stuck whatever landing this is? Because if he's if he's passing it on to Robert Venditti. I was surprised at how much that this was not, like, the end of Snyder's run. It didn't feel like, okay, cool. It's definitely not something that you would then start the issue, the following issue over at one with. Is he doing something else? Is he, is he like, He's doing gonna, metal can, again. Well, because Bendis has that big spread of all the superheroes hanging out with uh, Superman in the last issue. No, this seems like it's, this it's is going like, into... Next issue is the Justice yeah, League. Yeah, it says next up. Justice League 40 by Robert Venditti. And then Hell Arisen, and then get ready for the metal encore. So, with Capullo and Scott Snyder, which I know people really liked metal. I don't think people are really going to love a second metal, but. I haven't read this. I really haven't read much of that Scott Snyder Justice League. Um, But I'm glad you stuck with it. (laughs) Yeah. The art's been really good at times. I think it's one of the better Justice League runs to come out in a long while. Uh, aside from some of the high points of Jeff Johns' New 52 Justice right. League, like the Anti-Monitor War and the Forever Evil. like th- Those yeah. were really good Justice League stories. But aside from that, we haven't really had good Justice League stories in a while. So this is one of those. And, I mean, it's, it's pretty good. 
when I when I was reading the Giffen Justice mm-hmm. Leagues, what, one of the things I really liked about it was how small most of the stories were. Mm-hmm. Like even when there was a huge disaster, it was like, oh no, Starro's in New York, and we better save New York. Right. And they didn't go much larger than that for the most part. And when they get larger and larger and larger, I start losing the thread. Like when you said Perpetua's right bigger than the Monitor, or the Anti Monitor. That that sent up like two middle fingers in my brain and I tapped out. I think it's low hanging fruit. Like we need to tell a big story. So how do we do that? We just make the stakes bigger, create a newer, yeah. larger power. I think it's it's low hanging fruit. But make make bigger stakes for smaller people. Yeah, and I, I like that distinction. Like comic stories, I think used to more often be like, oh no, Starro's in New York. You know, we got to save New York. Where's John Jones going to get all his? Oreos. We're not selling. We're not. We're not saving New York a lot anymore. We're saving yeah. the world all the time, and and that can yeah. be a little exhausting. But I would give this issue um, a, a seven, six point five actually, and I would give Ju- Scott Snyder's run as a whole probably about a seven. I think we should do something we've never done before. Please. Are you ready? Yeah. We're gonna do a three man buckshot on Protector. Go. Okay. Oh, okay. Protector number one by Simon Roy. And Daniel Benson with art by Artyom Trakahanov. This is mostly a visual story with very few words. Kind of about like different different uh, social hierarchies that are pretty familiar: slaves and slave owners. Um, yeah, and a, chasing down a, a girl who's who's escaped. Yeah, in a dystopian future. It's like what a thousand years. Three thirty-two forty-one is the year. A little more than a thousand years from now. I really like the art style, though. It is like Simon Roy, while not being Simon Roy. If you have ever read Prophet and liked the book Prophet from Image and Brandon Graham, yeah. this is the closest thing I've ever read to that. But I did have to work harder to get through it than I wish I had to. Well, it's a setting that I don't super love. Um, you know, like everything's kind of medieval and, um, I don't know. It's the, the character designs aren't, aren't super my favorite, uh, to read about, but, uh, it reminded me a little bit of Headlopper mm-hmm. if Headlopper was dirtier. Yeah, it is, is dirtier. Roman, can you yeah. sell me on this book? Um, in 16 seconds? I like the world building that's kind of hinted at here. Like, you know, just little details, like for some reason... Instead of goat herds, there's goss herds. They use geese for whatever reasons. And and I'm curious about it's all world building around the Great Lakes. Like they keep on mentioning the city Chicago, that's Chicago. Oh. Um, that got me curious. Man, I, that was a great idea, Django. Thanks. That was good because I think we could have <laughs> talked for a long time and kind of said exactly that same thing, which is it's a pretty good book pretty good comic. yeah i'm curious what you know the hudsoni they're based around hudson bay i'm curious how all this happened there is great page like three pages of text world building at the end that is stuff that you would use to see in profit it's just text and sketches of characters but it, it's doing a lot of world building there yeah which actually the maybe i don't know it's maybe kind of a detriment the, my favorite part of the book was the text pages and back mm-hmm. rather than the actual story <laughs> yeah uh what were your scores Give it a six and a half. Yeah, that sounds pretty good to me. Yeah, I would six, say six, six and a half, half also. Yeah. Wow, guys, Team Buckshot, that was great. It's interesting. Like it's got a cool logo. Yeah, the cover is what I, I grabbed it specifically because the cover is great. Yeah. amazing. Yeah. Everybody, I've got something I want to talk to you about. Uh, is it the birds? Can I talk is to you? Is it the bees? 
Yeah, it's the birds and the bees. It's Sex Criminals, The End, Part 1, Issue 26. I wanted to look up the date that the first issue of Sex Criminals came out before was, I did this. It was before I think it was the first appearance of Fantastic Four, I think. Or 2014. 1962. It's probably been about five years, and we've gotten 26 issues, which is about five issues per year. Uh, listen, they're beating Southern Bastards right now. I know. That's a heartbreaker. But there's a really thoughtful write-up by Matt Fraction at the end talking about that, where he essentially says that this story started about Susie and John meeting over this shared ability to have orgasms to stop time and wanting to save a bank, or just wanted to save a library from a bank that was going to foreclose on it. And the two characters fell in love, thought they couldn't be together, fell out of love, and then got back together. And he had a lot of resolution there, and he realized that he didn't really care much about the bank story anymore or the or the the heist bank story to save the library he really just cared about these characters and at this point there was a there was closure for him so he sort of i don't know if it's a cop-out or not but he kind of says so i basically just took a year and a half off to like sit with this story while doing other stuff to make myself care about it because i don't want to write a book that i don't care about because then people will just not care about it and i would rather have it be six really good volumes that took several years rather than six that took fewer, and uh, ultimately disappointed the readership. As long as he finishes it, I'm totally okay with that. Sounds like they're really on track to be finishing it. He plots all of what the next several issues are out, who's doing the covers on them. One's going to jump three years and three months into the future and be issue number 69. Nice. (laughs) But, yeah, I have a weird relationship with this book. I loved it when it started coming out. And then it got real big for its britches, and then he kind of, like, dipped out on everybody. And <laughs> and it changed a lot, too, like, between issues. Yeah. Or it, between volumes, I guess. Yeah, the tone shifted, and, you know, since the last issue... Well, I mean, throughout the course of this series, Matt Franchin has gone on to be making TV shows, and is hugely successful, and has, has had other kids. And Chip Zdarsky went from being a small-time artist to being... One of the biggest writers at Marvel, yeah, and an incredible artist who's got a cult following. Like this book really did change the course of their lives, and it really, it is an incredibly heartfelt book. And it, for all of the hilarity th- that is in this series, there's all these really brutally honest moments about people and coming to terms with who you are and learning to care about one another. I really liked this. It does change directions quite a bit, and I don't know exactly where it's going to go. And it might be that they are just drastically sort of changing the direction of it for this one final volume. There's a great cliffhanger that doesn't really make sense, so I think I kind of have to reread it. But it does have John in a prison jumper talking on a phone, and there's a sign behind him that says, No erections while talking on the phone. (laughs) Erections will be punished unless the causes... Unless that causes more erections. <laughs> um, so Chip Zdarsky is funny, and he's doing his funny thing behind it. And I just, I'm glad that the guy that writes these books that a lot of folks love, at like Image and Marvel, he's also doing dirty sex humor yeah. at this other book, and he stayed true to himself. So I really like that. Um, yeah, this is, it's great. I love Sex Criminals. Did you guys read Sex Criminals? Did everyone just fall off of it at some point? I would understand that. I brought that issue home to read it, but I couldn't remember if I'd read the last couple. Like mm-hmm. I've, I've been mostly caught up with it. Yeah, I've only read the very first issue. Okay. It I've is, always meant to go back. There was a period in time where I was like, if the, if Jeff ever wrote a comic book, this would be it. Like, the first six issues of this series are incredible. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm i 100% with you. I can't wait to read this 
and maybe catch up with a bunch of issues before it. Who knows? Who's yeah. to say? I have, was behind several issues when the last issue came out, and I caught up on them and then talked about it on the podcast. That was probably a year and a half ago, yeah. two years ago. Yeah. So cool, cool to have this out, cool to see it. I've missed this book. I'm glad that it still exists, and I would give this issue an 8.5. Okay. Um, I want to talk for a minute about Detective Comics Annual number Schley. Mostly because of the last ten pages or so, the the it, this the issue deals with the fallout on Batman of Alfred's death from Tom King's run, and uh, like we talked about on the YouTube like subscribe and comment uh, channel that we we do, um, this the the first part of this story is Bruce kind of dealing with some old beef that Alfred the MI6 agent had with. Uh, another agent. You can't be, keep beef for that long. It turns. No. Beef will go you bad, gotta, bud. You gotta you gotta hit the beef out. You gotta hit the beef out or put it in the fridge. That's right. That's right. Not Freeze the beef. Freeze the beef or eat, eat the, the beef. beef. Uh, but my favorite part was the week by Peter J. Tomasi and Eduardo Riso. It's year one from Alfred's perspective. So it's Alfred patching Bruce up before he's got the bat suit. It's Alfred mopping up blood from when Bruce keeps getting beat up. It's Alfred kind of dealing with the uh, Bruce's messed up um, mask after the explosion that happens in year one. And the whole thing is super Eduardo Riso, but definitely like the, the angles, it's all Dutch angles from Eduardo Riso, but it's David Mazzuccelli looking art. I just, as you're talking about this, and even though we recorded a YouTube video, everyone like, comment, and subscribe, uh, I didn't realize that this is kind of your equivalent of that uh, Ice Cream Man issue for me. Yeah. Which is like, yeah, hey, it really is. For me, I know the first two issues of All Star Superman, like the back of my hand, and that is you in year one. Yeah. And this, this does a really good job of hitting those, hitting the same kind of area of Batman's world. Also, the beat. like the, the purple gloves, man. Give him his purple gloves back. <laughs> they did. Oh, yeah. But he doesn't still have them. They did it for the whole end of Scott Snyder's run. Yeah, but he doesn't still have them. No, he doesn't. They gave Batman his uh, his purple gloves, and they took one of Alfred's hands. Yeah. Uh, but then I, they gave Alf the hand back. I would give the first story in this probably a six and a half. It's it's good. It's a one-shot. It's not nothing super special. But uh, the, the last... The story that touches on year one over and over and over, uh, I would give a 10. Really, really good. So mm-hmm. I don't know what that average is out to. I don't know if you want to do it per page first or if you want duck. to do it like... That's not my first gooey duck, is no, it? First you gave a gooey duck, duck last week. No, no, first gooey duck this okay. episode. It's crazy. We should have given Ice Cream Man a goo. Well, you didn't. <laughs> I don't know why we need to talk to each other like that. Uh, <laughs> Jeff... <laughs> This is a working relationship, and you're a butthole. I think it's working just <laughs> fine. <laughs> uh, yeah. Eat my butt. Unfortunately, we sold out on Wednesday, but we might have some more coming in. So if you want to, if you want this issue, come in, like, comment, and subscribe at the counter, and tell us that you want uh, <laughs> want us to set one aside if we get more in, and we'll make sure it happens if it happens. Django, great review. Hey, thanks, Jeff. Cheers to you for that Cheers one. Cheers to us. Suntory. Damn, that sounded good. <laughs> uh, hey, Roman, oh. before we get into the fucking X Corner, 
Mm, the X Corner. Can you yeah. tell me about those goddamn turtles and their 102nd issue? Oh my gosh. 102? Yeah. 1 and 0 and 2. Mm-hmm. One Shree. I- one is- oh, jeez. I was going to say one issue before Shree. Um, Shree. Shree. <laughs> Jump. This guy gets it. it. Yeah. Um, you know, I wish I'd been reading this series before issue 101. Yeah, I hope that it was as good because it, it is a new writer now. Is it? I mean, yeah. Well, it's, Eastman so, wasn't doing it before? Eastman is only co-plotting it with Sophie Campbell, and she's doing the scripting and writing now. Okay. And right. Eastman did it up to 100. Well, I, I, I don't know. I also have been feeling that way. I wish I was reading yeah, it because if it was this like good. I feel like I missed out on something. But I do think that like, the, the sort of interpersonal drama stuff of this is is maybe largely Sophie Campbell. Okay, and it's so, it's so good. I mean, it I've is. never really cared about the Turtles before. Um, I'm so impressed, like, throughout this issue with how many panels there are where, you know, Splinter has died, the turtles, Raph is in town being a vigilante, the other turtles are out at this farmhouse, but they're not talking to each other. They're just, like, passing in the kitchen and both feeling like I should say something, I don't know what to say, we've lost our father figure, we need to talk, we can't talk. So we're just all drifting away. Um, And there's so many panels where... None of that's being said, none of it's being thought, but just, and it's simple drawings, but just like the side profile of like Michelangelo's face. And there's just the the slightest bit of water along the bottom of his eye. And it's like, oh my God, this is so touching. It's so touching. And there are, yeah, I 100% agree. The, the moments of like just... I like the stuff that's going on in the city and with Jenica and the food shelter and these other animals, but really it's these long horizontal panels of these turtles without masks who all look kind of the same but are all emoting super heavily and trying to just be in pain around one another. And it's it's a really, really well done. Yeah. Yeah, you feel the silence and, and how messy the kitchen is and there's like coffee cups and balled up tissues and you know occasional pizza box and and the michelangelo <laughs> taking in a cat and like putting all of his energy towards protecting yeah. this cat yeah he's always got the kitty splinter has died is like brutally brutally real yeah yeah and, and just like the scene in the snow where where two of them are walking away from each other i think it's donatello and leonardo leonardo walking away from each other and just their tracks and mikey's up in the window with his cat watching that looks a little that that page looks a little tony Moore to me maybe it's just because of the snow yeah yeah i can see that yeah the walking dead guy Mm, terry moore oh Oh, i was gonna say i don't see (laughs) sorry i I was thinking tony Tony moore Moore here yeah yeah you're right sorry terry sorry tony in the city with raf who's apparently during the city at war storyline he like helped out the bad guy because he was going through some stuff and that's also loaded on these tensions even before Splinter's death and you know he's grieving in the city but not dealing he's also not dealing with it but not dealing with it in a different way and my favorite fictional character to come across the the figly desk in a while is his adorable little dinosaur named pepperoni Mm. that hangs out with him and just I know it sounds dumb, but the balance of like I guess I love small animals. I love like gruff people with small animals that they care about. That is a that is a thing I like. But Roth with this tiny adorable dinosaur that is like cute that he cares about that is like around ugh, it's it's getting me. I I, I am loving this. Sophie Campbell, yeah. who wrote Wet Moon from Oni, which has won a lot of awards. She's a, a really talented writer, but this 
if you are any passing interest in the Turtles, and you are like Roman and I, and you have not read the last hundred issues, or you're like Roman and you've never really cared about the Turtles at all. Yeah, not really. I read like the original Eastman stuff like the first year. You <laughs> could jump in on this and really, really like it, because we are, and we don't have a huge experience uh, with the, the franchise before this. So, Can I ask a question? Yeah. Do you guys, when you open up the comic, or at any point in the comic, do you sing the cartoon theme song? Or no. is this nope. so far... Out of that tone, it's so far yeah. out of that tone, and like from watching the Toys That Made Us documentary and some like that, the Eastman interview mm-hmm. on the, and the Comics Journal, that, on, on the Comics Kayfabe, yeah, yeah, from the Comics Journal, they that show really was marketing people pushing them to create a palatable, you know, presentation for children because mm-hmm. you guys know that Turtles was originally a parody of Daredevil and was super dark and serious, yeah, yeah. so. Yeah, it is cool that Eastman has been writing this, and it has a slight influence of that cartoon show in it because there's so many people that that is what the turtles are to right. them. But it, it really is serious and dark, and cool. isn't yeah. it isn't like the show at all. Yeah, and I don't hear that. Of course, I never watched the show for me because I only read like that original like first years worth of stuff, and now this. So me, it just feels like this is a natural extension of that, and none of the movies or show ever pop into my head. What yeah. do you guys give it? What would you give it, Roman? Oh, boy. Uh, I think I would give this a 10, actually. No! No! Dude. You don't do that when I give a gooey duck. (laughs) Bud, Bud, are you trying to be Roman? Do you think that you could ever be Roman? Do you think you would ever want to be Roman? (laughs) My gooey duck's only average. <laughs> it's just that, like, oh, oh, Roman, it's on the table. Get that the fuck out of here. My God, Roman. You're only, you know, you're not packing the ham that yeah, he's packing. No, I get it. I get, not, it. I get it. I get it. Oh, the sound of joy. The sound of coming towards the end of this whole thing. Jangle, give it to me one more time. Ah, yeah. Y'all can't see his face when he does it, but it's grosser than you'd think. Give it to me one more time. So let's, we haven't talked about an X-Men book since the last issue of the main X-Men book, which was number four, so it should have been a month ago, and my boys are singing and squirting all over the mics while I'm trying to talk, and that's fine. That's fine. That's totally fine. Um, Just a bunch of buddies. Just a bunch of good friends together. Bunch of buddies for now. Bunch of buddies for now. They just woke up one day and Jeff was gone. I never saw him again. No. They went to his house. Sam was there. She didn't have any answers. He was gone. Somebody got a postcard from him from the Rocky Mountains two years later, but that's really the only thing. It's the only sign of Jeff that there ever was. Except for his smell. He left one sweatshirt around, and on uh, cold days, if you bunch it all up into a very tight ball and smush it to your face, you can still kind of smell his head. He well, became the wind. He became the wind. Well, road trip to the Rockies parted. to find Jeff. Django broke the wind. Django broke the wind. Um, so X-Men number five by Jonathan Hickman and R.B. Silva did the art, which was kind of cool. And then uh, Ben Percy on X-Force with the same artist that has been on it, which is Steven Segovia. And then Guru FX doing the colors on this, not Dean White. Very, very different colors, but still pretty good. Did, did you read X-Men, Django? I did. You're still on board with this one. Because you yeah. liked four a lot. Yeah, I, I've I've liked all the X Men well enough to keep going. Um, I don't have the the same level of trust for Hickman that you do, but right. I'm enjoying it. And until he writes three or four in a row that I dislike, I'm gonna I'm gonna keep reading them. And Roman, they're, you're, they're good. You're digging this as well, Sergeant. Yeah, yeah. Oh yeah, definitely. I read this. I got to that page with the Sentinel in the jungle. I was like, what the heck? So cool. What the heck? So Justin brought up 
that at the beginning of the Hickman, sorry, the Morrison quietly run, there um, the evil Cassandra Nova, Charles's mm. twin sister, is in the the safari area, and she they they approach a giant sentinel that doesn't look exactly like this, but is still very similar. It's a master mold, mm. so I don't know exactly sure what is going on here. But this issue deals with they need to send a crew of X-Men into the vault, which we had seen one of the kids from the vault in episode, or issue three. It was this little white pale kid right. that escaped and, and went missing. And this vault concept, I believe, was introduced in Mike Carey's X-Men run, which I haven't read. But I think in that Hickman interview that you passed along to me, he was talking about his deference for Mike Carey. And I think that he was saying that the vault was created in that. You might have read it. But, yeah, that's the Mike Carey story. But there's a lot of really interesting stuff going on in this issue. And one of them particularly is, uh, so in the vault, time passes different than it does outside of the vault. And that Mm -hmm. is really similar to in Hickman's uh, Fantastic Four. The High Evolutionary has a city where that happens, but that's older Marvel canon. But in his Ultimates run that he did in like 2012 or so, there is the it's the ultimates, but there's a big domed city that evil Reed Richards is in, and time passes really quickly there, so it's a highly evolved society. And that whole society is run by this giant computer floating head with all these wires. And I went and found those issues because inside of the vault in this, it had, I'm fairly certain that it is that same head is in this. So he's linking elements from other things that I don't fully understand, but I'm really into it. Like, it's just, I, I don't, it doesn't make t- a ton of sense. I'm not sure if this is the real world version of that and like the ultimate version is just a different one. I don't know if this giant master mold is the one that we saw in the Morrison run, although it looks a fair amount like it. But I really love that Hickman concept of a place where time moves much quicker. And in this issue, we send a, a party of Cypher, Laura, and somebody else, Cypher and somebody else I'm not really very familiar with. I Darwin? It's, no, sorry, it's Darwin and Sync, not Cypher. Darwin, yeah. Sync, and X-23 go into the vault, and they lose <clears> contact <throat> with them. We know time moves faster there, and we do a jump, and the like issue... A, like a three-month or three-year jump? Yeah, the beginning of the issue is several black pages and or panels, and it has Cyclops saying, what have I done? What the hell was I thinking? And then the end of the issue is you know, a Hickman framing device of that same moment, and we understand it. Uh, it's been three months, five days, and some change since those people went into the vault. And then Cyclops says, so how long? And then Charles says, well, best guess, 537 years. Would you keep Cyclops in a position of power if you had any ability to remove him from that? Because so far, this whole series has just been kind of things revolving around him fucking up, right? Like he sent the New Mutant kid out. He didn't send the new mutant kid out. But, I know but, that you but he let him go, that, and, and he keep, he kept saying, oh, yeah, that was my mistake, right? And then yeah. here, he's like, oh, no, what have I done? I've done this terrible thing. Like, that's that's kind of an, an ongoing theme so far of this X-Men run. and Yeah, I think he's like a character who wears the burden of leadership in a guilty mm-hmm. and not proud way. And mm-hmm. I think that's one of the strengths of his character. I think that that 
is one of the ways you can make him more interesting because in the animated TV series back in the day, he was not that. He was just the fearless leader who was like you right. know, a piece of toast. And it wasn't interesting. I think he is more interesting like being laden with guilt and fallibility because in the last eight years leading up to this run, he was a revolutionary who was working against the X-Men and against government agencies and was kind of a terrorist in, in many regards. And he's been brought back to a point of leadership now. Do you I don't think, know if do you think that we're is... headed towards him saying I I don't want to do this or towards him having some successes to kind of balance this out. I think he's like that could be where it's going. I don't, I'm not sure, but I I think that Charles has a tremendous amount of respect and trust in Cyclops and I think Cyclops has a tremendous amount of trust and respect in Charles and he is doing the best that he can and it's not perfect. And, and I think, you know, like, to me, the New Mutants needing to leave the planet is that the next phase of this story involves interstellar things needing to be brought to Earth. Right. So they needed those people to go out to do that to come to Earth. Um, I, I don't necessarily view it as, like, he keeps fucking up. And I don't necessarily know that that's been present in the other issues. But that, that moment did happen. And, and this is, you know fallibility but i i never view him as someone who's like the leader like charles is the leader and cyclops is the first lieutenant so i don't really right. ever think that things are just going through cyclops right. but it, it could be the case that that's how i feel i've always felt you know cyclops is the is the field commander and charles is the the leader the overall leader and well I, listen and this kind of thing this kind of character cyclops i think i love it because it harkens back to like uh kind of Cyclops the way he was in the the Burn Claremont yeah and and before that too the okay. six in the sixties and the Burn Claremont run and all that stuff kind of classic Cyclops yeah because okay. I, I I do think that he has you know I think that he is kind of I think he's always been kind of a shitty leader mm-hmm. well being a good leader but also like making mistakes and doing dumb stuff but also Charles is a sketchy guy too like yeah I mean yeah. I, I didn't mean to derail derail the conversation but I am kind of the X-Men noob looking in on this series. Like, I've read an amount of X-Men, but I've never really deconstructed it and, and paid close attention, which is kind of required when you're reading one of Hickman's books. Like, right. you're you're drawn in to, to be a little more critical and, and Well, it could be exactly that's it. where it's all headed, and that, you know, I'm not assuming that. So, but these yeah. pages of, like, inside... And, the... I'm, and I'm still assuming that, ultimately... Um, Charles and actually Krakoa through Charles is up to something something naughty. Well, and so then yeah, that brings me to X Force. Has anyone read X Force? No, not yet. This is you know the X Force crew, and they. I really like this series because it is dealing way more with the the social political balance of Krakoa in the world, and in this there's an organization who has been messing around with plant DNA stuff, and basically their genetics have melded with some plant things and it's becoming a sort of all consciousness and they can heal themselves and beast makes the decision that all of them need to be eradicated even though they're humans because they function in the same way that an omega level mutant does and when it's not a mutant who functions on that level it becomes like uh nimrod or you know like an all consciousness Mm -hmm. that like a computer basically so they decide they need to get rid of them all, and, and Beast manufactures this plan that is super shady for the sake of Krakoa 
and manipulates a country into th- like he does this horrible thing to a country's leader to make the the leader think that that plant organization did it so that he'll be against those plants and with the X-Men have a sense of being indebted to them and then it's like great political it's almost like game of thrones like level of political psychological terrorism yeah and it shows that the x-men and charles and krakoa are like you know the good guys ish like they're like the cia yeah it's it's (laughs) like real shady stuff and i'm i'm a big 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 fan of that and And it kind of goes off the rails at the end and beast is just an interesting interesting character do you think that he was justified I mean, obviously, he was probably justified from his perspective, right? Yeah, from like his he's, perspective. He's not, nobody's the bad guy of their own story. Right, but he definitely... I think that the last, like, eight years of storytelling have put Beast into sort of the, like, irredeemable category. I think he's done so many bad things in the really? name of trying to do things good that I don't I don't think that he can come back from it at this point. Hmm. Yeah, the Dawn of X stuff. The Hickman book is amazing, I think. Yeah. Even yeah, I, one one well one of the just a small moment in the Hicks, in the X Men book that I liked was uh, between Laura and Wolverine, where um, Cyclops refers to Laura as X twenty three, and she's like, "No, I'm Wolverine," and and Logan's behind her going, "Yeah, you tell him, kid." Yeah, it's so <laughs> awesome, and Adino will feel very vindicated by that. But let's get scores, and then let's check out an email from Dino that we've got. Yeah, I would give X Men number five a seven and a half. I. I'm curious what it would be like if I had read all the stuff that this is maybe referencing, if I would juice more out of it. And I haven't read a lot of that stuff. I still don't know. I've read some of it and haven't read some of it. And I'm I'm still very like, okay, is this Ultimate Universe stuff? Is this from this X-Men run? Is this the same place from different things? Like, it's it's more questions than it is, like, a a real sense of knowing. Do you think that keeping up with a lot of the other X-Men books is... um, enhancing the main series for you no okay nope i think that Good. you can just read the main book and you'll be totally fine i think you can just read x-force and be totally like i don't even think that you just uh, you need to be reading the main book i think that you could just be reading just X-Force whatever you want and still yeah. be digging i think that they have done a really good job of doing that. and it's like little terrorist cells. Yeah. Mutant the, terrorist cells. And, and that was sort of the question on everyone's minds at first. Um, but Dino has a question about... X-Force. So I'll give my score. I give X-Men number five an 8.5. I liked it very, very much. And it made me think and get excited and look at other books and compare things. And that's my favorite type of thing about comics. X-Force, I would give an eight, just barely below it. The art's not quite up to par, but it it is a great story. Roman, what's your score for X-Men? I'll give X-Men, yeah, an 8.5. Liked it a lot. I will not score X-Force because I haven't read it yet. Mm. Dino. Hello, Papcasters. You guys are beyond awesome. That's nice of you to say, Dino. What What exactly, Dino, is beyond beyond awesome? The Pap Cave. Ooh. Just beyond the sea of awesome. Here's my question. In this week's X-Force, Beast seems a little more evil than our usual blue furry friends. So what if Age of Apocalypse Beast has somehow put his essence in a 616 body of Beast via the Five and is posing as our Beast? Thoughts? Agree? Disagree? P.S. How awesome was Laura back as Wolverine? It was awesome. Dino, I know that you've been excited about that, and I hope that Hickman did you right. Uh, You guys are on your own for that other question. Well, I thought... I thought... Wasn't Dark Beast killed off like a number of years ago and he's no longer a concern? I don't think so because in the Children of the Atom miniseries that Bendis did a number of years ago, 
because Bendis brought like Bendis had Beast bring the young X Men back, and he oh. did it to spite Cyclops. Like Cyclops, if you could, if your younger self could see what you'd become, you'd be ashamed. So he brings his younger self to the you know to the future, to, to the present, to say that. That's a jerk move. It is, <laughs> and and then the future Beast, or maybe the future, maybe it was future Beast, but I actually think it was Dark Beast. Sends people back. Dark Beast was in that Children of the Atom miniseries, is my my point, and that was about five or six years ago. Yeah. And I don't know if he died at the end or not. I do think he was running around for a while. He was actually with the X Men for a while afterwards. But anyway, all oh, right, he was on. Yeah, he was on one of the teams. Yes. So I'm not sure. I do you know? I think that's an awesome idea. I we kind of answered it a little bit in our description of that book, but I don't think that. I think that Beast is. You know, possibly that's happening, but I think more than that, I think that they are writing him, and I think Hickman is writing him as intelligence and analytical power going unchecked oftentimes becomes bad. Reed Richards. Yeah, and that's a present thing in his Fantastic Four run, and I think it's present in X-Force, and I think that's the dynamic that he shows sort of between Doctor Doom and Reed Richards and how Reed Richards combats that. So I, I think that it really is an instance of this direction that we've been having, even since that early Bendis stuff, which is that Beast is kind of kind of shitty and petty. Even though he has been a furry, wonderful character. He's awesome in the animated series. He's awesome in the older comics. Yeah. But he really has become a, a sort of bitter character. I don't like that idea. Like yeah. I, I, I get it. Yeah. But I really like him as just like super smart kind of kind of lovable brain yeah. guy. Yeah, I miss that beast, and it was right around the time the legacy virus was a big deal and killing everybody that he stopped being a a fun being classic beast. And people started dying a ton, you know, yeah. with with the virus, and and also I think it does kind of make sense in that same way that like Ben Grimm has like a. He's so lovable, but there is a bitterness. Mm-hmm. Like he's turned into a non-human. He like can't experience love in the way the humans do. And he was imprisoned. And he, I think his intellect is his only comfort. And I, th- I think that he, that that is a sort of self-isolating state to be in. Mm. You know, that's my theory. I could totally see that it it will go in a different direction. And maybe maybe the dark beast thing has happened, but I I think that it might just be an instance of people doing something with a character that maybe not everybody loves. Yeah. I, I I agree with what you're saying though. I do wonder since Dino brought that up, I do wonder if there could be anything because there was something in this week's new mutants that I started realizing, maybe some of the other X books I started realizing, wow, when they resurrect somebody, there's been hints that they can, um, alter them slightly personality wise or you know it was in kind x-men of, was it in x-men that yeah so who knows maybe there's some combo yeah. of beast and dark beast all in one beast they they <laughs> augmented somebody's powers i think when they resurrected them yeah or, yeah yeah there's some creepy thing going on there. Like, wow you can just use people and resurrect them and well and theoretically they could be restoring from backups that are old Right, or don't, haven't had certain experiences that they don't want them to have. Yeah. yeah. I really liked this one bit where there's a great several-page sequence of a nine-panel grid, except for the right two panels of each of those are, are combined. So it's actually six panels, but it's in a nine-panel grid. And the left ones all show Beast doing a, a monologue. But it is him convincing Gene to go do this thing. Like, I believe that if these people don't get killed, 
you know, they will eradicate all mutants. Like, we have to kill all of these people. He pushes Gene to do this thing. And then he says, thank you, Gene. You did the right thing. And Gene says, Beast, yes, Gene, don't fucking patronize me. And it's just awesome to hear Gene say that. And I love her awareness of that situation of you're twisting me to do a thing that you want me to do. And now you're congratulating me for it. Like, I know what you're doing. Don't fuck with me. Yeah. And I, I really liked that moment. I was like, ooh, Gene. So, um, yeah, good. Those, well, are my, those are my feelings. Uh, on part two of the podcast, we're going to talk about Thor number two, <laughs> Philadelphia number three, Jessica Jones number two. Farmhand, Farmhand 13. Thir- <laughs> one and a Schley, Avengers of the Wastelands number one, Conan number 12, Doctor Strange number 12, Star- two number Star Wars number two, we s- and we probably read, some buckshots. We read a lot of comics this week. It was so <laughs> nice to get a big week of comics, and then my Tuesday was kind of open this week, so I actually had a time I'd read 11 comics Tuesday night, which yeah. is really cool. I couldn't believe when we talked about it on Wednesday morning before we recorded our YouTube video. Like, like subscribe, comment, subscribe. Comment. Um, I couldn't believe how many Marvel comics I had read because usually my Marvel run is pretty small, but I'd read like five or six Marvel comics before I read anything else. That, yeah. was, that was pretty impressive to me. And we had three, four image comics in the lineup this week. That's a bigger image lineup than we've had in a long time. Yeah, well, they got stuff coming back. It's nice. Stuff coming out. Hey, uh, yeah. like I said, I don't know if this is going to make it in the final podcast or right. not, but we, uh, we've we got not very many reviews. Most of them are by one, one man. So go review our podcast if you would. We sure would appreciate it. Couldn't hurt. James Mello. Yeah. Looking at you, James. Love yeah. you. Like the way you smell. You're such a great guy. Yeah. Roman Statler. Have you done it? Uh, Jeff, have you done it? Yeah. No. Okay. I'm one of the first ones. You're one of the first ones. You and me. You and yeah. me and Bill Forgetty. Forgetty. Uh, but look, it'll help us. And the more help we get for that, the bigger and cooler we can make this podcast. We're not asking for money. We just desperately no. would love uh, that. That would maybe help us get some sponsorship. Validation. Or something that I would want. maybe at least make this thing that we love just, doing a little less work. I just want people to hear us. I just want the validation that they know what we're doing. It's not just like... But I know what you're doing. Isn't that enough? Just shouting into the void. Isn't it enough that I know what you're doing, It's a really good start, Jeff, and it's why I keep doing it. (laughs) But if we don't get some reviews, I don't don't know if I'm going to have the will to go on the air and talk. (laughs) I get it. I get it, bud. It's all right. We'll get through it. Roman, do you want to say anything? Do you want to sign off for this thing? Um, You know, Star Wars is really good. Oh, you're actually oh, doing yeah, more we comic gotta, we, reviews. We gotta go. We got like uh, 16 yeah, more yeah, comics to talk these? about. <laughs> hey, uh, Django, what's your pick of the week? Well, I don't know. Oh, I don't know. Probably Middle West. Did that come out this week? <laughs> <laughs> you can't even do a week best of. <laughs> I, I read like three weeks worth of comics this week, buddy. Uh, Roman, what was your pick of the week? Star Wars number Man, two. There's so Duh. many good comics. It was actually Teenage, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles 102. Nice. Heroes in a Half Shell. Turtle, Turtle power. power! I think mine would have been Ice Cream Man 17, but I really liked that Sex Criminals came back. Mm. That made me feel good to have that back. I think mine, probably, like, full comic-wise, Ice Cream Man, um, the thing that gave me the most joy was probably that Batman Detective annual. Um, yeah, solid comics. I'm Django, and I like Gelflings. I'm Jeff, and one 669 is that your home number? Dude. <laughs>
165 episodes. You've been here for almost all of them. He's usually asleep by now. Yeah, no, I was, looking like prompt, a little... I was trying to prompt you to identify that number. Oh, they know. Uh, a little okay, dozing okay. bird. They've, they've listened to 165 episodes. Except for like the six that are missing from the first ten. Well, and, and the 65 that uh, don't show up in the back of the feed. <laughs> That's your job. I do the the we three and a half hours of all of the homework every week. You got to just crack a coding thing. We can get three hundred on there, but we lose the descriptions. That's that's the trade off. Okay. Haven't been willing to do it. If I don't have to write those descriptions every week, I wouldn't mind. Well, I we might be able to put the descriptions somewhere else. This is hot lava radio. <laughs> <laughs> Roman, did you say something cute? <clears throat> uh, everything I say is cute, Joe. Come on. The that's, end. That's the the end. And we're out. <laughs>